Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Just recently, I was at a wedding reception and happened to be sitting next to a pastor, a church pastor, and we were talking on a number of topics. And one of the things that came up was the discussion of um, the time that um, Australian Indigenous people, um, which are, are sort of referred to as First Nation people, have have been in Australia. And of course, just recently, there have been a number of articles on the local um, news or on the Australian news um, that um, the uh, Indigenous people been here for 65,000 years. And that's been, um, you know, if you look on uh, the different uh, sort of uh, museum websites and so forth, this seem, there seems to be a growing acceptance of this age. And so he, um, the pastor said to me, he said, well, you know, as a, as a scientist and a, as a Christian, how old do you think the earth is? And I said, oh, well, I think, you know, the Bible's pretty clear that it's about 6,000 years old. Um, and so he said, well, you know, how... You know what? What are the reasons? Why do you think that it is you know that that young? And of course, this is very different to the age that is given for um, the indigenous people being in Australia for sixty five thousand years. So it's more than ten times um, the 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 biblical age. And then, of course, if you have if we look at geological ages for the the Earth, we're looking at uh, billions of years, um, you know, four and a half billion years, something like this. So as a scientist, um, you know, how old is the, is, is the Earth? Um, is my um, date or uh, belief that the Earth is only about 6,000 years old credible from a scientific point of view? So one of the things that we need to look at when we look at the question, how old is the Earth, is that we actually don't know. There's there's actually no uh, proven scientific evidence for how old the Earth is. Now, perhaps a number of scientists listening to this program might uh, think, whoa, whoa, <laughs> yeah, that, that's not true. But when we actually look at how we measure and date things, we need to understand that these methods really haven't been proved and there's massive inconsistencies. For example, just recently I was... Um, reading a paper that I had seen before, but um, I uh, saw that it came up on uh, one of the searches that I was doing, so I had a look at it again. And this was where uh, some uh, volcanic rock was uh, di- discovered up in Queensland that had um, uh, wood trapped in it inside. So when they'd cut the the piece of uh, lava open, they actually found some fossilised wood inside. So the fossilised wood was dated, and, of course, the lava, lava was dating. So the carbon-14 dating of the, um, of the wood that was trapped in the, the lava, that dated at 37,000 years, according to carbon-14 dating, the conventional carbon-14 dating. When the uh, rock, uh, the basaltic rock, was dated using uh, potassium-argon dating, it came out at... 47 million years. So here we have the the rock in the the timber inside, dated 
dates at 37,000 uh, years. The rock that encased it, uh, and they should really be the same age, dated at 47 million years. Now, we, we have this massive inconsistency here, and this is, is typical across uh, the um, radiometric and the different types of dating methods that we use, whether we're looking at the um, ice core data, whether we're looking at um, the tree ring data, um, all, all these sort of things. If we, if we take the same rock and we do isochron uh, radiometric dating on that rock, and the isochron method is, is the, at the moment the most accurate method that we've got, but we use four, well, we use, say, different isotope systems, maybe up to four different types we might be able to use on some particular rocks. Um, we always get vastly different ages depending on the method that we're using to determine the age of those rocks. Um, when I say always, I guess on the ones, the results that I've seen, they've always been different. So, you know, we, we really don't have a reference material that we can use. And uh, when we look at how are the ages uh, determined for, for example, the time that Indigenous cultures have been in Australia, and and this is um, you know quite a hot potato at the moment because this has political implications around the claims for land rights and and these sort of things. So there's a you know a lot of you know, political implications here in in terms of the of the science. But when we when we look at it, the uh, some of these ages have been they've they've dated, for example, the shells in middens, and they yeah you know, might get an age of say fifty thousand years dating the carbon in the shells that are in the middens that they can see. But we need to remember that when we date the soft tissues in dinosaurs, we typically get younger ages than that. We typically get ages in the range. The values that I've seen, 20, 25,000 years to you know, 35,000 years in these sort of uh, range. And so then, again, this, this puts the age of the dinosaurs back, um, you know, more recent. Uh, and it would I- imply, you know, humans at the same time as dinosaurs. Now, of course, we believe that from the Bible point of view as being in the pre-flood condition. But... We need to understand this. At the same time, if we date the coal, um, and a number of studies have been done uh, dating coal, then again, we we tend to get this same uh, range of values in the order of about 25 to 40,000 years when we do carbon-14 dating. And carbon-14 dating is... Really quite accurate in, in many ways because we can precisely measure the half-life. It's about, uh, it's, uh, you know, 5,728 years, I think, pretty well, uh, just going from memory. But it's, it's a relatively short half-life. So the fact that we're finding carbon-14 in these specimens means, again, that in terms of absolute terms, God be less than 100,000 years old because after that time period, we wouldn't have any detectable carbon-14. But, of course, as I've mentioned before in many of the talks, that carbon-14 
levels depend on the cosmic ray flux because carbon-14 is formed by the interaction of, of uh, high-energy particles uh, produced by cosmic rays uh, striking the um, earth air when they hit nitrogen nuclei and so forth. So, and we know again that, you know, the cosmic ray flux will vary. It'll vary with solar activity, but also varies with the strength of the Earth's magnetic field. And there's a lot of evidence that the Earth's magnetic field in the past has been quite different and it would appear much stronger at times in the past as well. And again, this would greatly reduce the amount of uh, carbon-14 in the atmosphere, which again would artificially inflate the ages, give us much longer ages. So we're, we're living in, well, when we try to uh, date these things, we're working in areas that are, you know, highly variable. Now, the ages for 65,000 years are generally done through uh, optically stimulated luminescence dating of sand and, and this sort of thing. And so when they uncover some of these ancient footprints and this sort of thing, they date the sand or they date the sand uh, where they've found, for example, some sort of uh, primitive implement and they use this optically simulated humilescence dating. But again, this is based on a whole lot of assumptions. So how this technique works is that you know elements like sand, when they're they can uh, detect um, the the last time that or the time in the past when that sand was last exposed to strong sunlight, which um, affects um, electron structure and so forth, or elect- uh, uh, certain emissions. And so essentially what they're saying is that they can estimate the age at which that particular sand was last exposed to, to bright sunlight or on the surface. So this is how they uh, date the different layers. But again, when you look at the method, um, how these are calibrated and so forth, there's a, well, a huge amount of assumptions that are, again, involved there. And I think one of the issues that we have with all these different dating methods is that there's a huge number of inconsistencies between the methods themselves and the different methods, and they're all underpinned with assumptions that are very difficult to validate. And we can't easily validate them or cross-validate them um, for these very long ages because we don't have standard reference material that we know directly the age. Um, all these things, um, um, age is, um, is estimated by some sort of implication or um, uh, estimation based, again, on unproved assumptions, unverified rates over time and this sort of thing, and often assuming that there haven't been any changes in the past compared to the present or uniformitarianism. But, of course, we know there's been cataclysmic of events in the, in the past. Um, and I've noticed an article um, that uh, just, just recently, Evidence for a Young World by a physicist, Russell Humphreys. And um, I knew that he'd done um, quite a bit of work calculating um, and, uh, the... Uh, uh, estimated uh, magnetic fields in the different planets 
and uh, on Earth looking at a model for generating magnetic uh, the magnetic fields because it's very difficult to explain the existence of the magnetic fields in, in certain planets. And his theories, based on a young Earth or a young universe creation model, have actually, um, it seems, um, proved to be actually quite accurate. So I was quite interested in an article that uh, he put together a few years ago um, looking at the evidence for a young world. And so just going through these, he actually has some evidence for a young um, universe uh, as well. And um, he points out that um, the, he, he believes in a biblical age of around about uh, 6,000 years. And he thinks that, um, you know, there's powerful evidence that the really long ages that evolutionary models and the attempted models to explain the universe require um, just don't stack up. Um, and it's interesting, just uh, before doing this uh, broadcast, uh, I had a uh, phone call that um, uh, where a lady uh, rang me um, and started chatting about evidence for the Big Bang theory and of course what a lot of people don't realize is again that there's the the model of the big bang theory that physicists um, are, are taught or we're teaching in uh, schools and universities at the present time again the evidence doesn't stack up for the big bang theory and there was I think I've mentioned it before it's very interesting articles published I think it was in um, uh, one of the uh, in Scientific American back in 2016, where um, top astrophysicists from Harvard and Princeton pointed out that you know, there's just major inconsistencies in the theory. We get we adjust the math so one part of the theory works and will predict what we observe, but then all the other parts don't work, um, and you know we we still don't have the evidence for the existence of dark matter and dark energy and this sort of thing, and yet they're fundamental requirements for um, the Big Bang Theory. And again, they, they, when they published that, that paper was published, there were a whole lot of top scientists objected to it. But as the authors pointed out uh, later on, that um, you, you can raise all these objections and say, oh, no, no, you can't say that, that the Big Bang theory does is unscientific and that there's no evidence for it. But when they, these scientists that claim that don't put up the evidence to support the Big Bang theory, it still isn't there. And they point out a very important fact that you don't arrive at truth by the vote. But this is what is tending to happen, particularly in terms of dating the ages of things today. If there's a political implication, we're arriving at these ages you know, by, by vote, not on the basis so much of proven scientific evidence. Sure, we can do uh, optically stimulated luminescence on the sand and we can get a reading. But that reading may not be a true reading. We haven't actually validated the method and established that for those particular ages, it's, it's a true method. It's a true answer. And this is the important point to try and understand 
with these issues. And rather, we have a whole lot of data pointing to a very young Earth. And so looking at some of these things that um, Russell Humphreys points out, he points out galaxies wind themselves up too fast. And so he says, the stars of our own galaxy, the Milky Way, rotate about the galactic centre with different speeds, the inner ones rotating faster than the outer ones. The observed rotation speeds are so fast that if our galaxy were more than a few hundred million years old, it would be a featureless disk of stars instead of its present spiral shape. And yet our galaxy is supposed to be at least, you know, 10 billion years old. So, uh, you know, that's, um, you know, a major problem. And um, if people are interested um, in this, uh, you know, one of the references for this is uh, the book uh, Physics of the Galaxy and Interstellar Matter by uh, Scheffler and Elassa. Uh, pages 401 to 413, and uh, pages 352 to 353. And so he says that, uh, you know, the uh, astrophysicists call this the winding up dilemma, and they've known about this uh, for about 50 years. They've devised many theories to try to explain it, but each one has failed. Um, and the same winding up dilemma also applies to other galaxies. So we've got major problems with the ages of the of the galaxies. Um, and of course, one of the attempts to resolve the dilemma has been a complex theory called density waves. Uh, but the theory again, this latest theory, has run into uh, problems, uh, and um, it's been actually called into question now by the Hubble Space Telescope discovery of a very detailed spiral structure in the central hub of the Whirlpool Galaxy M51. And if anybody's interested in uh, reading up on that, the, um, the reference for that is uh, an article published in Nature um, in July 1993 by Zariski and Al, um, and also an article in the December issue of Sky and Telescope, 1993, page 10. The other thing, too, is another reason uh, for the young uh, universe, for example, is that comets disintegrate too quickly. And so according to the um, stellar evolutionary theory, comets are supposed to be the same age as the solar system. You know, that is about five billion years, four and a half billion years. And yet each time a comet orbits close to the sun, it loses so much of its material that it could not survive much longer than about 100,000 years. And so many, many comets have typical ages of really only 10,000 years. So... Um, you know, this is a, another major problem. Of course, one of the ways they try to get around this is that um, assuming that comets come from some unobserved spherical Oort cloud well beyond the orbit of uh, Pluto, but uh, improbable gravitational interactions with infrequently passing stars uh, often knock comets into the solar system as another explanation. Another improbable interactions with planets slow down the incoming comets 
enough to account for hundreds of comets observed. But so far, none of these assumptions have been substantiated by either observations or realistic um, calculations. So, again, um, there's a major problem with the age of comets. Um, there's not enough mud when we come to the Earth. He points out there's not enough mud on the seafloor. Each year, water and winds erode around about 25 billion tonnes of dirt and rock from the continents and deposit it into the ocean. So when we look at the uh, mud on uh, the hard uh, lava rock of the ocean floor, the average depth of the mud over the whole ocean, including the continental shelf, is less than 400 metres. Um, However, the sea force slides slowly a few centimetres a year beneath the continents, taking some of the sediments with it. So according to secular scientific literature, that process only removes about one billion tonnes per year. Uh, so the uh, other 24 billion tonnes should be accumulating. And so at that rate, erosion, the present amount of sediment would deposit in less than 12 million years. But yet we say that the continents are about 3 billion years old. So again, there's this major inconsistency. So these are things we can measure now, the rates of which things are happening now, the rates at which we see the comets, the rates at which um, sediment is accumulating on the ocean floor and this sort of thing. At all points to vastly different ages than we calculate by the radiometric dating. Um, again, um, when we're looking at uh, the sodium in the sea, um, again, this points to a much younger age for the oceans than, again, we would um, estimate from radiometric dating. Um, one of the points that he makes, of course, is the Earth's magnetic field is decaying too fast. So he says the, the total energy stored in the Earth's magnetic field has steadily decreased by a factor of 2.7 over the past 1,000 years, according to uh, published data. Um, and uh, the reference for that is... Um, uh, the Earth's magnetic field uh, was a, a text published in 1983 by R.T. Merrill and M.W. Mahini, uh, pages 101 to 106. He uh, points out that evolutionary theories explain this rapid decrease as well as how the Earth could have maintained its magnetic field over billions of years are very inadequate. Um, and so um, he's, um, he actually proposed a theory, as he said, um, um, there's a much better creationist theory that's based on uh, physics and um, the uh, rapid reversals of the Earth's magnetic field during the Genesis flood, which was a massive uh, occur massive upheaval of the surface of the earth occurred at that time and um, the theory he says that has been put forward matches paleomagnetic data historic and present data and that was an article that um, um, was published um, uh, new evidence for extraordinary rapid change in geomagnetic field during a reversal that was published in the science journal Nature, 
1995, um, issue 374, pages 687 to 692, on the 20th of April 1995, by R.S. Coe. Um, another point that I think is very, very uh, powerful evidence for rapid deposition of the strata, and I've mentioned this before too, is that many strata are too tightly bent. Um, in uh, many mountainous areas, strata thousands of feet thick are bent and folded into hairpin-type shapes. And the conventional geologic timescale says that these formations were deeply buried and solidified over hundreds of millions of years before they were bent. Yet um, the folding occurred without cracking, with radii so small that the entire formation had to be still wet and unsolidified when the bending occurred. And so this implies that the folding occurred less than thousands of years after the uh, deposition. So, uh, you know, a lot of work has been done in that, and that can be seen all around the world. He points uh, out another example. Strong geologic evidence exists that the Cambrian Sasquatch sandstone formed an alleged 500 million years ago of the Ute Pass Fault of West Colorado Springs was still unsolidified when it was extruded up to the surface during the uplift of the Rocky Mountains, which allegedly occurred 70 million years ago. And so um, it, what he says is it's very unlikely that sandstone hadn't solidified during the supposed 430 million years that it was underground. And so he said instead it's likely that the event that was 500 million years and um, 70 million years in actual fact occurred at the, at the same time or less than you know, a few hundred years apart. And um, again, uh, he points out the fossil radioactivity shortens geological ages. Um, and um, he talks about the radio halos that have been uh, found um, that is um, around uh, certain um, radioactive materials that again points to very young ages for these crystals. And um, also, and one of the interesting ones that I thought they pointed out was that there's not enough Stone Age uh, skeletons. Evolutionary anthropologists say that the Stone Age lasted for at least 100,000 years, during which time the world population of Nathandral and Cro-Magnon men was roughly constant between 1 and 10 million. All that time they were burying their dead with artefacts, and by this scenario they would have buried at least 4 billion bodies, and if the evolutionary timescales collect, buried bones should be able to last for longer than 100,000 years, so many of the supposed four billion Stone Age skeletons should still be around and their artefacts, but only a few thousand have been found. And again, the same agriculture is just too recent. Why wasn't agriculture developed much earlier on? So we can see there are a lot of arguments that the timescales that are used to promote these long ages, the methods of measuring these ages are just terribly inconsistent and don't fit with the observed data that we um, measure today. And instead, I think when we look at the historical data that we have and the histories, recorded histories, they all fit a post-flood Young Earth biblical model.
You've been listening to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. If you want to re-listen to uh, these programs and check the references, remember you can uh, Google 3abnaustralia.org.au and uh, click on the radio and listen button. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.